there. But the message is entitled, Who Was Melchizedek? Um, few people have um, existed in history that have um, been a mystery and still remain a mystery simply for the fact that the amount of information or the records can be acquired so no conclusive evidence or identification can be done. Now, to an extent, Melchizedek kind of liked that, but he isn't, as we'll see. He's an interesting individual in that he is uh, mentioned only three times in Scripture. The first, the text that I told you to turn to, is here in Genesis 14. Um, and uh, this is where Abraham recovered the, um, uh, the people and all the stuff that was taken from Sodom and Gomorrah. And the second is uh, mentioned by David as a type of Messiah in Psalm 110. And the third one we find written by the author of Hebrews, which I believe was Paul. And uh, we'll focus on chapter 5 through 10 on specific things. But uh, those are the only three places that Melchizedek is mentioned. So what I want to do is take these three sections of Scripture and, um, and look at a threefold aspect of Melchizedek. First, we want to look at the person of Melchizedek through the first text. Second, we'll look at the prototype of Melchizedek in the second text. And thirdly, we'll look at the priesthood of Melchizedek in our third text. So let's begin with the person of Melchizedek. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 14. Here, his appearance is in the days of Abram, as our text says. Verse 16 and 17 is what we'll focus on right here. And notice in verse 16 of Genesis 14, the occasion is the victorious recovery of Lot, the goods, the women and the people taken uh, from Sodom and Gomorrah. As you know, that, that was uh, uh, preceded by God's warning by the angels to escape um, uh, laid down the road as, as God sent to deliver the people and he destroyed them completely. Uh, even the pagans know what Sodom and Gomorrah is all about. Uh, you don't have to be a believer to remember that. Now, the king of Sodom, notice in verse 17, went out to meet uh, Abram in the king's valley here. As Abram returned from the defeat of Caelarmer and his, the confederacy of kings with the intent of rewarding Abram. This is why he's going out. The text is going to show us this. Now, his appearance is identified for us in verse 18. The man is identified as a real person. Mark that well. He's not fictitious. He's not mythological. He's not an angel or a ghost, but a man like any other. Flesh and blood. He's present. Abraham can see him. He's talking. The man's name is Melchizedek, which means my king is Zedek, righteousness. The general consensus is that he was a Canaanite king of pre-Israelite Jerusalem. Josephus says the following, that he was a Canaanitish prince, a pious and religious man, eminently um, raised up by God and whose genealogy was kept a secret. Now, some object to this because of, um, in view of Ham, the father of Canaan, that was cursed in Genesis 9, 22 through 25. And keep in mind that when we quote people like Josephus, they're secular people, um, and we only would mention them if they corroborate something, whether he's accurate or not is irrelevant. The fact is that 
we're looking at the record of Genesis here that is given to us about Melchizedek. That's the most important thing. Now, the man is declared to be king of Salem. Notice in verse 18. Um, the name Salem means peace. The majority of Jewish and Christian commentators believe this is in reference to Jerusalem. Very clear. Psalm 76, 2 makes this clear. Others think it was nearer to Sodom on the way between Damascus and Sodom, whereas Jerusalem was in the contrary situation and lay nearly 40 miles from Sodom. Now, some of these things, there can be opinions, but we look at the geographical location. Israel's not that big. You've been over there with us. You know that it's not that big. Okay. And let's just say that we can't exactly identify the location or we can't exactly identify who wrote this book or what year it was written in. It doesn't matter because there's only one author, the Holy Spirit. Whether it was Paul, Peter, James or Donald Duck, it doesn't matter. You sign a check with a blue pen. You sign your income tax return with a black pen. But none of those pens signed it. You did. The author of all the scripture is the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, it is inerrant, it is infallible, and you can bet your life on it. In fact, you can bet your eternity that it is absolutely accurate. Something that has been given up by the majority of Christian seminaries and Christian universities and the majority of Christian churches. The inerrancy and infallibility of God's word. Ladies and gentlemen, this doesn't become God's word. This it has no question whether it is God's word. This is God's word. Absolutely. Now, Jerome relates that Salem was a town near Sisipolis, called at his time, and where was shown the palace of Melchizedek, which by the largeness of its ruins appears to have been very magnificent and takes it to be the same place with Salem here in Genesis 33:18 and Salem near which John was baptizing in John 3:23. So again these men through history were able to with ancient maps and locations of that and they could try to make sense of it. Now, notice the man is declared to be the priest of God and this is the crux of it. His office was a priest of the Most High God, it says here, Yahweh, all capital letters. The word priest, Cohen, which signifies both prince and priest, because the patriarchs, as you know, sustain the double office and has both its root and proper signification in the Arabic, Kahana, signifying to approach, to draw near, or have intimate access to and hence to officiate the priest before God. God is holy. Only certain per persons could go before God. Not everybody could go before him as we have the privilege as Christians today. Now, Clark states in his commentary regarding Genesis 14:18 the following. Thus have intimate access to the divine presence and by means of the sacrifice of which he offered and 
he received counsel information relative to what was yet to take place. And hence another exception of, uh, of the word to foretell, predict future events, unfold hidden things or mysteries to the lips of the priest preserved knowledge. And they were often the interpreters of the will of God to the people. So everybody understands what a priest is about. It's someone who goes between God and the people. It's a person who's able to offer up sacrifices, and though they may vary in different cultures, stuff like that, when we look at the Levitical outlay, the way it's laid out, it's very clear to us as Christians. Now, the Hebrew Kohen, in the word, and then the Greek herios, and the Latin sacerdos, and in Spanish sacerdote, it, it means priest, and it always denotes one who offers sacrifices. As you know, the head of the family was the priest of the home. You go back to the Exodus. Okay? It was the head of the family. Noah was the head. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Job interceded for his sons and daughters just in case they sinned against God. So, the man, the head of the home, was a high priest as God's original plan. Later, God introduced the Levitical priesthood, as you know, when we studied Leviticus and Numbers and that. And the priesthood was to offer sacrifice for God. And there God redeemed the firstborn to replace the first, the head, as a priest. And he, and he counted out the priest, and he counted out the firstborn as the heads, and then he took the difference and redeemed them with money. So then he had the tribe of Levi to be the high priest, the priest and the high priest. Uh, Aaron was a high priest and the Leviticus, uh, Levitical tribe with their three families, they served as assistants to the high priest. Their genealogy had to be provided or else they were rejected, even as we see in Ezra chapter 2, verse 59 and 62. In the repatriation, if they, they, when they didn't provide their genealogy, they couldn't serve. Okay. So they had to be vetted. <laughs> okay? And there had to be a way for them to prove that they were. Alright? Now, his appearance notice in verse 19 and 20 here of Genesis 14 was in order to bless Abram. And notice his name is Abram still. It's not Abraham yet. Okay? It begins as Abram. Now, Melchizedek stands in contrast to the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. Peace versus war. Righteousness versus unrighteousness. The priest of the Most High God versus the praiser of men. Melchizedek's blessing was superior to the king of Salem or Sodom. The king of Sodom went to reward Abram for his good deed. Melchizedek wanted to remind Abram of the good God would do for him there in verse 19. The reward was physical and temporal from the king of Sodom. The blessing from Melchizedek was spiritual and eternal. The king of Sodom was from the earth. God Most High was from above. Verse 19. So there's a very sharp contrast. The king of Sodom possessed the goods of Sodom. But God Most High possessed heaven and earth. <laughs> you might boast that you have a car that's 
unique, only one made, and you own it. And it's worth X amount of dollars. Then God turns around and tells you, but I own everything, including that car. (laughs) And God never brags. (laughs) He doesn't have to. The king of Sodom did not help Abram defeat the confederacy of kings. God most high delivered Abram's enemies into his hand, verse 20 says. Melchizedek receives a tithe from Abram. Abram acknowledged that all he had was God's. Abram declared his devotion and his love for God most high in a tangible way, giving a tenth of all that he had. Abram, the lesser, was blessed by the greater Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 7 tells us. Simple principle, ladies and gentlemen. The Old Testament is progressive. It's given in parts, in portions. No one prophet had it all. Some confirmed certain things, added to certain things, but the New Testament is the fulfillment of the full picture of Jesus Christ. So the principle is this. The New Testament interprets the Old. Hebrews 7, 7 tells us the lesser Abram was blessed by the greater Melchizedek. So you always interpret the Old by the New Testament. Very, very simple principle. Okay? You know, many believe for a long time that the Hittites were mythological, non-existent. The Bible's wrong. They're not historical. We've never found anything. And yet God grabbed some archaeologists to go out there and start digging around and found that civilization. Darn it. <laughs> and God has done that over and over again. There is no um, archaeological dig that has ever contradicted the Bible. Has only confirmed the Bible. In fact, secular and Christian archaeologists only use one book to try to find accuracy of location. The Bible. No other. How interesting. Now, they won't tell you that young people in the universities (laughs) or the high schools or anything else. The person of Melchizedek was historical. A real person. Secondly, we have the prototype of Melchizedek. The meaning of the prototype of Melchizedek is important. The prototype is an original type, a form or instance that serves a model on which later stages are based or judged. That's a definition by the American Heritage Dictionary. The prototype is sometimes simply called a type, a person or thing having the features of a group or class. So in other words, a type is right here in the present or the past, and it's pointing to the future as a fulfillment. Now, I don't know why, but they they use the word anti-type as a fulfillment. So you have the type right here, pointing forward, the fulfillment is the anti-type. Now the word anti has a twofold meaning depending how it's used in context. As we go through the Antichrist, we know that there's two halves of the tribulation, great tribulation, right? The first three and a half years, he is instead of Messiah, anti, instead of. The last three and a half years, he is against Messiah. Same word, Antichrist. Instead of, in place of, okay, against. 
in place and against. So the type points forward. The anti-type is the fulfillment. All of the Old Testament is progressive. The New Testament is the fulfillment, right? The new interprets the old. All right? Now, Melchizedek is a prototype and type of Jesus Christ. He appears in the time of Abram as an announced representative of something to come in the future, namely the person of Christ. Now, a lot of times the word type is used very loosely from the pulpit. This is the type of Christ. This is the type of Christ. The only legitimate true types are the ones that the New Testament identifies as a fulfillment of what was prophesied. Okay? So, if the New Testament does not identify that Old Testament passage as a type, they're not types. They're parallels, maybe. But they're not two types. Are we clear on that? Okay? So, the confirmation of the fulfillment points back to the prophetic type. All right? So the word is used very loosely sometimes from the pulpit when they're not true types. Well, I'll show you some of that as we move along. Now, here he is an example in class, office, and person of the Messiah to come at God's appointed time. Galatians 4 forces, when, uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, under the law. Right on time. God has never been late for anything. Yeah, have you ever read in the gospel where, where, where someone says, oh, Jesus, Jesus, wait, 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 I'm late. I gotta be here. I'll be right back. He's always right on time. He's just, he's just kicking. He's just going slow. He's right on time. We have to remember that when we're freaking out. We have to remember that right now where the whole world's freaking out. Okay? I always gotta come back to scripture. If I don't, man, I'm gonna be unstable. Now, the prototype emphasizes the office of priests of God most high. Verse 18 of Genesis 14. A priest exercises a two-fold office, as you know. He represents the people as he goes before God, and he takes the care of the people before God. When he comes out, he represents God to the people as he gives the word of God to the people. We see this very clearly in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and, and, and a representation. Now, a priest exercises the position of a mediator, a go-between. Second uh, Timothy one two five says there's uh, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, so he is the ultimate mediator. There's no one else. Mary can't save you. Mary can't make intercession. Peter can't do it, or anybody else. Only Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator. An umpire lays his hand on both of them. Job says in Job nine thirty three, he says I don't have a, 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 a one to lay his hand on both. No umpire. No go between. So. The answer to Joe's mediator problem is Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Abram was the recipient of the intercession of Melchizedek towards God Most High. Here in Genesis 14, 19 through 20. He blessed Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. In verse 19, promised that God would bless Abram. He blessed Abram, announcing the divine protection given who has delivered your enemies into your hand, verse 20, the beginning. And he accepted the tithe from Abram as an act of inferiority, revealing gratitude and love, the end of verse 20. Now notice the appearance of the prototype of Melchizedek 
then appears a second time. The first appearance of Melchizedek we have seen here before Abram in Genesis. Then he disappears. As quickly as he appeared, he disappears. Nothing was known of or about Melchizedek, his descendants, his genealogy, for 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. Nothing is said. 2,000 years, by the way, in 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. From Genesis 12 to Malachi, two more thousand years. That many books to that many pages. And then from Jesus to now, it's two more thousand years. He's without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Hebrews 7, 3. There's a commentary. The New Testament. Hebrews is the Leviticus of the Old Testament in the New Testament. <laughs> it interprets everything as Christ being fulfilled. He fulfilled everything of the covenant in types of the tabernacle. He had no pedigree or genealogy to speak of. Not that he was not conceived as all other humans because he was there with Abram. He spoke to Abram. He was present. So the second appearance of Melchizedek is found in the Psalms. Nothing is heard of Melchizedek after Abram till a thousand years later. And then we read Psalm 110 that David wrote. This is the second mention of Melchizedek. Two thousand years from Adam to Abraham. He appears, disappears. Now a thousand years later, his name appears again now. Not the person, but the name. It's a messianic psalm clearly describing the Messiah and connecting Melchizedek as a type of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 10. By the way, it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament because it's messianic about Jesus Christ. The first verse describes the Son in glory waiting to set up His kingdom. The Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Let me translate it. The Lord, all calories, the Father said to the Lord, the Son, <laughs> sit at my right hand till I make your enemies his footstool. Clear? <laughs> Look at verse 2. The second verse describes the battle of Armageddon. Wow. The Lord Yahweh shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Second coming. Verse 3, the third verse identifies the remnant in that day of his coming, the Jew. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. And then in verse 4, makes the priesthood of Melchizedek a prototype of the priesthood of Christ. Listen. The Lord Yahweh has sworn, and I will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There he is. You know that David was promised that through his line, through his seed, the Messiah would be born, right? David's a prophet. He's prophesying here. In fact, Jesus asked the Jews about this psalm. 
Who's God talking about? <laughs> I couldn't answer him. So the prototypes and types of Christ in the scriptures are many. And they're identified. But let me just give you a few so you can understand, as I said before. If they're true types, you'll be able to find that type in the Old Testament and the fulfillment will be indicated in the New. If it's not indicated as a type in the New, it's not a true type in the Old. People use it loosely, but it's not true. The first, let me give you, Isaac was offered as a prototype of Christ, the substitute for the sins of the world, in a figurative sense. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, 17 through 19 tells that very, very clear. In fact, Romans tells us that Abraham believed that God would even raise him up from the dead if need be. Okay? So he's clearly marked as the fulfillment of that type of Isaac. Okay? Here's a fire. Here's a wood. But where's the sacrifice, Father? God will provide himself that sacrifice on the very same mount. Mount Moriah. Up higher. Calvary. Golgotha. So, we don't make this happen. We don't interpret this on our own subjectively. We have the scriptures to point the type and the fulfillment, the anti-type. Book of Hebrews gives us the fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Another one. Moses. Jesus speaking Nicodemus. John three fourteen through 15. says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but ever last life. Right? He goes from the book of Numbers and pulls out this thing out of nowhere. As you know, the uh, Israelis got mixed up with these young, uh, wiggly things of Midianite. And uh, they showed them how to worship their gods sexually. And God sent fire uh, serpents in the camp. They began to die. And Moses interceded. And, and God told Moses, put a, a staff, a pole in the middle of the camp, a brass serpent on it. And whoever looks upon it and believes will not die. Jesus said... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in should not perish, but everlasting life. You had the staff or the pole, a type of the cross. You had brass, which is a type of judgment. And you had the serpent, a type of sin. You had sin being judged on the cross. In a type. In the book of Numbers, Jesus says, that was about me. So you have the type, you have the anti-type, the fulfillment. For it to be biblical, there must be the two. Short as this between two points, as a straight line. God must connect it. Not us. Objective, not subjective. Are we clear on that? Alright? So, the entire tabernacle is a type of picture of Christ. You read the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 8 through 10. The priesthood, the sacrifices, all of that. Prophecy is the greatest evidence of divine inspiration of the scriptures predicting things hundreds and thousands of years in advance to provide tangible evidence of the existence of God. There's, there's no other quote, quote, religion that has a book like ours. No prophecy. Why? Because you stick your neck out when you do. God said, Cyrus, my anointed. And he prophesied that he would defeat Babylon and that he would release the Jews to repatriate themselves. 150 years before his birth by name. That's just one prophecy. I can give you the seventh week of Daniel, Daniel 9.27, from 9.24 down to 27, everything else. There's incredible prophecies. 
you've been with us, you know the chance probability of those things. There's not enough zeros after it. This prototype of Melchizedek was prophetical. It was fulfilled. Thirdly, we have the priesthood then of Melchizedek. The priesthood of Melchizedek spoke of a future intercessor through which Jew and Gentile would be blessed. Abram was promised that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Genesis 12.3, never forget that verse. And you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That is still legitimate today. I want you to think in the condition that we're in right now in the world with all this terrorism and all this anti-Semitism and anti-Christianism that's going on. Okay? That those that bless you, Israel, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. And do a study of all the nations, what they've done to Israel through the years. We're not saying that all that Israel does is right, that they're the best. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I'm not stupid enough to poke my finger in God's eye. All right? Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. You might start with Hitler's Germany. You might look to Spain. You might look to England right now. That's a minority among Muslim community. All her subjects came home. She used to boast of her kingdom. Her son never went down her kingdom. Now she's surrounded by all of that. And you might look at us. Hmm. Kind of sobering. The Old Testament economy was for the Jew only. There were some proselytes. So when you think of the Old Testament, it was centripetal. Some, they were to come into the nation. Israel was to be a light so that the Gentiles could become proselytes. But they failed to represent God properly. They took that as a badge of pride and looked down on people. The New Testament economy is Jew and Gentile. One in Christ Jesus. The book of Ephesians is very clear. Neither Scythian, barbarian, male, female, bond, slave, nothing. Okay? We're all one in Christ Jesus. So we don't let race divide us. We don't let color divide us. We don't let education divide us. We don't let, let the type of clothes you wear divide us. We don't let our president divide us. We're Christians. Are we clear on that? All right? Now, the New Testament is centrifugal. We go out to the nations to evangelize. The Old Testament was centripetal. Come in. Basic difference. The Old Testament, the wife that's been put away by divorce for adultery. God's going to redeem her again, reconcile her again. Those who teach replacement theology, we reject absolutely. If you say that God is through with Israel, you make the church Israel, what do you do with Romans 9, 10, 11? What do you do with Matthew 24, 25? What do you do with Revelation 6 down to 18? And many, many other passages. You just ignore them? You just change the names? That's what they're doing. Majority of Christian churches do that today. Even as far as to teach that Jesus was the first Palestinian. 
Are you kidding me? Wow. Abram met Melchizedek who declared the Most High God to be possessor of heaven and earth in verse 19 of Genesis 14. All was created by Jesus, Colossians 1.16. All things consist. He holds them all together, Colossians 1.17. If you know anything about the electrons, protons, electrons, all that kind of stuff, you know that they should pull apart, should explode. Everything material has the potential of exploding. That's what they did when they made the atom bomb. They, knew, they split the atom. <laughs> and what happened when you do that? Fourth of July. One of these days, Jesus is going to let everything go, the atom. Boom. At the end of a thousand years, the whole thing goes up in smokes. New heaven, new earth. God holds it all together right now, ladies and gentlemen. All things will be reconciled to Jesus, creation and the redemption of man. Romans 8.20 Now, the priesthood of Melchizedek spoke of the priesthood of Jesus then, the Son of God. God spoke at various times, Hebrews 1.1 says in different manners in times past to the fathers by the prophets. So as I said, not any one prophet had all the picture, all the parts. They each had different parts, different emphasis. They all put together was progressive. And then it says in verse 2 and 3 of Hebrews 1, God has in these last days, the church age, spoke to us by his Son, whom has, he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Why is he sitting? Because the work's all done. And he's waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. Psalm 110. Simple. 2,000 years from Adam, Melchizedek appeared to Abram. 1,000 years after Melchizedek, David mentions him. 1,000 years later, Melchizedek's prototype is fulfilled by the antitype, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God declares five times in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Five times. So, Genesis 14, Psalm 110, Hebrews. Only three times. Three passages. Listen five times. These are found in Hebrews 5, 6, 5, 10, 6, 20, 7, 17, 7, 21. Now when God says something one time, that's sufficient. It's absolutely true. When it says it five times, pay real close attention to it. Melchizedek was called king of righteousness, king of peace, made like the son of God, a prototype of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7, verse 2 and 3. It gives us the commentary on Melchizedek. You can't miss it. We're not left to our own opinion. Now, some people believe that Melchizedek was a Christophany. And the Christophany is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Sometimes he appears as the angel of the Lord. Some people believe that Melchizedek was a Christophany. I used to not care one way or the other, but the more I studied, the more I realized it cannot be a Christophany. If Melchizedek was Jesus, that would mean that Jesus is both the type and the anti-type. 
It can't be. The type is the shadow. The antitype of the fulfillment is the true figure. You have a tree, you have the shadow. Which one you want? You want the real tree. <laughs> the shadow only verifies there's a real tree back here. Okay? So it can't be both. So I don't believe that Melchizedek was a Christophany. I believe he's simply a type pointing forward. Now you remember that God also dealt with people prior to the Israelites, right? Because when Moses went back to Midian, and by the way, Midian is not in the Sinai Peninsula, as your maps and your Bible say. When you go home, turn to the back of your maps, it says the Sinai, what's not Mount Sinai there? Put a circle and a slash. Mount Sinai is over here in Midian, Arabia. Read Galatians chapter 4. It tells you real clear. Okay? Paul tells in Galatians, in Galatians that it's in Arabia. So all the Bible maps are wrong. Can you imagine that? God's right and man's wrong. Wow. What a novel idea. So, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, what did he do? He offered sacrifices. Now you know that not anybody could just offer sacrifice, right? So that means... That before God even established the Levitical priesthood, he already still ministering to other people. Jethro is a perfect example of that. So therefore, no man is without excuse. Romans chapter 1 tells them very clear. When they knew God, they didn't want to glorify him as God. But it became vain in their imaginations. Right? Wow. Busted. Melchizedek met Abram with bread and wine. In Genesis 14, 18. The elements that Jesus used for communion, symbolic of his body and his blood. Now the priesthood of Melchizedek spoke of a superior priesthood than that of Abram's. Or of Aaron's. It was superior to Aaron's. Jesus was made like his brethren and released man from death through his death. And in, as a merciful high priest was able to aid those who are tempted. We're told that in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. So you can go to God anytime you want. Whether at night, whether it's been the day, whether you're having a good time, you're having a bad time, whatever. He's there to hear you if you're a Christian. Jesus is to be considered the apostle and high priest. One kind of worthy of more glory than Moses. Hebrews 3, 1 through 3 tells us. The word apostle, as you know, is one sent forth, sent out. An ambassador who speaks and acts with full authority of the power of the one who sends him. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Over and over again, John says, Jesus says, the Father sent me. As high priest, Jesus presented man to God, being a faithful high priest as the anointed Messiah. Hebrews 2.17. He is the go-between. He's the mediator. He's the high priest. The high priest of the Old Testament was only a type of the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ, to come. Being a faithful high priest, he represents the people to God. No one else. Sinner and saint. Now, the admonishment is to consider the apostleship, which means to fix one's attention with the eyes and mind to learn and comprehend his significance. 
that you and I understand who it is that we have before the Father at the right hand to make intercession for us, to help us, to aid us, to hear us, and to answer us. Jesus uses the same word when he says, consider the lilies of the field, consider the raven in Luke 12. In other words, comprehend, consider, meditate, so you can understand exactly its full impact. The priesthood Jesus entered is the heavenly tabernacle. While Aaron entered the earthly tabernacle, Hebrews 4.14 tells us. The priesthood of Jesus was the result of God's calling on his son, Aaron, as an adopted son. Hebrews 5, 4 through 5. Notice the superiority. The priesthood of Jesus imparts eternal salvation, unlike Aaron's. Hebrews 5, 9. The priesthood of Jesus takes us right into the Holy of Holies, behind the veil by his own body, unlike Aaron, who only entered in once a year after many washings and sacrifices. Hebrews six nineteen and 20, and chapter 10, verse 20. The priesthood of Melchizedek was superior to Aaron's in that Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek. Listen carefully. Since Levi was still in his father's loins, Hebrews 7, 9 through 10. Abram paid tithes to Melchizedek and therefore Levi was still in his loins. So Levi was actually paying tithes to a greater priesthood, Melchizedek. Wow. How do I come about this? I'm reading the commentary in Hebrews. Simple. Now, the priesthood of Melchizedek spoke of an unchangeable priesthood. If the Levitical priesthood was perfect, what further need would there be for the priesthood of Melchizedek? Hebrews 7:11 says. There wouldn't be a need, but it wasn't perfect. Men lived, lived, and they died. Not only that, but they had to offer a sin first for themselves, then for the people that came to them. Okay? Jesus had no sin. None at all. The Messiah was from the tribe of Judah, not Levi. After the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron's. Hebrews seven fourteen through 15. The priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek was unchangeable. Since Jesus dies no more, but lives to ever make intercession for man. And he does not have to offer continual sacrifices, for he died once and for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 7, 22 and 23, and verse 25 through 27. He died once. Made the atonement. God raised him from the dead. That's the receipt of the payment. And he says at the right hand of the Father now. Wow. So the priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek is what? Untransferable. It was all prophetic of him, a type, an anti-type, and it will never, ever change. Now, do you understand why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me? No Mary, no Peter, no saints, no virgins, no Krishna, no Allah, no Buddha. 
No one but Jesus Christ. Am I narrow-minded? No, I'm biblical. I agree with heaven. I agree with God who died for me and for you. Heaven and hell are such a serious matter that God went out of His way to show us very clearly the only way. You cannot miss the only way. You have to fight against the only way. You have to strive against the only way. You have to harden your heart and rebel and say, I don't care. What you're saying is, I want to go to hell. Wow. Jesus died so you and I could go to heaven. Hmm. Unchangeable. Hebrews 7.24 His priesthood is superior to all. His priesthood is the only one that's honored by God the Father. As you know, Persian kings, and we have an example that in King Ahasuerus, that there was a law that no one could enter his presence unless the king raised a scepter. Queen Esther said, when she was asked by her uncle to go in and make intercession for the Jews. She said, I, I go in, I'm dead. Yeah, okay, don't worry. God's help will come. His deliverance come from somewhere else, but don't think you're going to escape. She went in. He raised the scepter. She was able to make intercession. So Jesus Christ, He sits at the right hand of the Father. And when you as a sinner, call on his name, believing that he died for you, he raises the scepter. You as a saint who's repented of your sins and you need help, he raises the scepter. Wow. Do you realize what we have at our access? By grace through faith. Not because we deserve it. We deserve absolute hell. God, by His grace, has made the way to heaven. Man. The priesthood of Melchizedek is untransferable. Maybe you never heard of Melchizedek. Now you know a little bit more about him. <laughs> this is Melchizedek. The person of Melchizedek was historical. The prototype of Melchizedek was prophetical. And the priesthood of Melchizedek was untransferable. All of us speaking about Jesus Christ. You can't miss it. You have to willfully rebel and strive against the simplicity and the clarity of the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We pray, Lord, you deal with our hearts, and we thank you for your goodness. And so, Lord, um, we pray even now for those that are present here, that you would deal with their hearts, and, Lord, those over the Internet, that you be glorified. You deal with their hearts, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. God wants to reveal himself to you in a way that you've never ever experienced 
that He loves you so much that He wants you to know that He died for your sins, that you would call upon Him, He would forgive you and give you a new heart, His Spirit, a new nature, that you might live to please Him. Never perfect, but you will be able to live differently. Your eyes will be open. It's called repentance being born again. If you are here and you believe you're a sinner by the grace of God and you believe that God died for you, then you can call upon Him right now. This is your prayer of repentance and He's going to cleanse you from sin and give you eternal life right now. This is your prayer. Father, I come to You in Jesus' name. I ask You to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with Your Spirit. I accept You. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.